1: Hello, college football fans across the nation. We're back with another edition of Urban's Take with three-time national championship winning head coach Urban Meyer, and yours truly, Tim May. And Urban, man, you guys, a big noon kickoff. You're headed back into enemy territory again. At least that's what you used to call it back in the good old days. But you're you're going to State College, PA, and you're going to be there in the daytime. What do you think that's going to be like?
0: Well, that, that has turned out to be one of the best venues in all of college sport. You know, uh, the, the whiteout when we were there, I can't remember how many, it seemed like we played a hundred of them forever. Yeah. But the, the student body's phenomenal. The You know, the way they set that thing up, uh, I'm talking about the whiteout. So I'm anxious to see what it's like as a noon game. You know, Ohio state is the rival of Penn state. You can say whatever you want, but they are, we are uh, when I was coaching and they are now and, uh, so the fans will be all over this one. Obviously, Penn State had a huge win against Minnesota. The quarterback looked tremendous, and this is after a, a beatdown they took uh, from the Wolverines. So uh, this is a this is the game of the week in the in the Big Ten, and I think in the country. What
1: what what do you think the atmosphere will be like? I'm not sure you ever coached Ohio. You you never coached Ohio State there in an afternoon situation. What what do you think it will be like? Number one, you're going to get booed, but you're not going to get booed as much as you used to when you were the head coach at Ohio State, right? Because uh, you've kind of gotten used to that going to Michigan and these other places, big noon kickoff is gone. But uh, what do you think the atmosphere will be like? Will it be a little more, do you think, a little more free feeling uh, considering it's a noon kickoff?
0: Well, the good thing is I'm old news, so I think there will be some people having some fun and all that. Uh, you know, When I was up in the Wolverines, the first time was kind of bizarre, but the, the second one we had fun with it and- – you know, like I said, people got a lot more things to worry about than than me there at a game. And yeah, no, I do. I'm going to be as professional as I can. And uh, we have some great segments about the Penn State offense against Jim Knowles' defense. That's going to be my focus this week, which I think is going to be the difference in the game. And uh, but you know, I'm anxious to see what it's going to be like. I, the 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 whiteout I had is the number one, the most difficult place to play. You remember we lost one, but then we. We won several in great games, I mean, from yeah. overtime games to coming from back two scores down right in the fourth quarter. So the, the crowd, I imagine they're going to try to whip them up in a frenzy. That just means they have to get up earlier and and have a few cocktails before they get in that stadium, I guess. But it's going to be – this is the game and, and how uh, the weather should be fine. Um, how Clifford handles this defense is going to be the difference in the game.
1: Yeah. Let's get to it. Ohio State's number two in the country. Total defense. What a flip-flop. They're they're averaging 110, 115 yards, fewer yards given up per game than they were a year ago. Uh, they're number two in total defense. They're higher ranked in total defense now than they are total offense, which is crazy after last week's really strange game against Iowa. A strange blowout. <laughs> I don't know how you say those two words together, but... What just jumped out at you now that you've seen this defense? If you and granted Iowa can't get out of its own way on offense, let's put it that way. But Ohio State beat beat them worse than they were averaging. You know, you're from a standpoint of total yards. But what just jumps out at you about this defense now, uh, seven games in, Urban?
0: Well, very well coached. Obviously, there's great players. What I get anytime someone says, "Well, we," you know, there's a team that doesn't have good players like in Ohio State. That's not true. You know, maybe the scheme doesn't fit the players. Uh, but I think this coaching staff's done a phenomenal job. Now, there, here's a harsh reality that, you know, some people might not want to hear is that Ohio State hasn't really faced a quarterback that I mean, you look at the, the past offense rankings. Yeah. Uh, Rutgers is 122. I think uh, uh, Iowa was 130 or 129. Yeah. You know, uh, uh I'm trying to think who else we played. Just it's it's really been poor. Even Notre Dame's 110th in pass offense. Yeah. So my my question I'm really anxious to see is Jim Knowles is very aggressive. They they play a lot of something we call blitz zero. And that's a six-man pressure where there's no no safeties. And that's the ultimate challenge for a quarterback. However, would you, you know, if the tide was turned and you had Marvin Harrison Jr. and you had CJ Stroud, would you blitz those guys? I would say no you know, they're too good. You know, when we had JT Baird, a freshman, we got a little blood zero until we learned how to beat it. And we got, you know, you just don't do that uh, because it's too high risk. So the question is now they're going to face Sean Clifford who is experienced. He's had an up and down career, but he's, he's he had a really good game against Minnesota. Yep. He's a veteran. He's at home. So much different when you're on in a horseshoe with 110,000 people and they play that, you can't really check in and out of plays. It's, Communication is too hard, so uh, I'm anxious to see, will they take the same approach against a veteran quarterback? The receivers are good. You know, Penn State has had not good. They've like great receivers over the years. Uh, their best positions are their two tailbacks. They're very fast. athletic thought guy, Singleton, being the primary guy. So I'm anxious to see this chess match between the two of them. And will, they, will Jim Knowles play zero coverage against Clifford? Because that seems to be, he wants to, He, I'm talking about the D coordinator. Yeah, Ohio State. He wants to dictate the game. That means he wants to tell you what plays to run because I'm going to show uh, a zero look a lot, and uh, I'm anxious to see how this goes. But reality is, Ohio State has not played an offense that can throw the ball, Uh, not one. And so I'm anxious to see what's going to happen here. Hey, flip side of that is, uh, is I I wrote a story
1: about this uh, earlier this week after the Ohio State game against Iowa. Tough sledding when it came to trying to run. Ohio State settled for four field goals in the first half. They still scored in the red zone. Mm-hmm. But this Ohio State offense, my big line is that you give them long enough. Um, that, that play sheet that Brian Day has got and Kevin Wilson and Corey Dennis and all these guys generate, Brian Hartline, uh, it's got something on there that's going to pick the lock eventually. That's the way I uh, – and I thought this past, past week was a great example of that. Uh, are you impressed with what uh, – I know you're impressed with what Ohio State is doing, but is, does that put Ohio State a notch above a lot of most other programs, just the diversity it can bring from an offensive standpoint? Even in the passing game, it's diverse if you follow my drift.
0: Yeah, the thing that separates them is first, the, and I did the uh, thing on big noon kickoff. Uh, what Brian Hartline has done is unprecedented in college football, and I was around the game for a long time. I've never seen a um, receiver room uh, that just continually churns out you know, and, and and I I used to get offended a little bit when someone so you you can recruit whoever you want. Like, wait, what are you talking about? You know, you can recruit it. You have to beat people in recruiting. There's other people that get paid a lot of money to recruit as well. But I think the thing the heartline does and really Brian Day's staff is they develop players. You know, Mickey Marathi and, and that it, it's a process of development of a player. So things, you know, you, you see what's going on at Texas Am. I know we're gonna talk about that. I mean, they yeah. recruited well. So what? What so? So I think, given an assist, especially the assistant coach is is due, and that's Brian Hartline, that's Corey Dennis, that's uh, uh, Tony Alfred. You know the way they develop the offensive skill is remarkable. But Brian Hartline, what he's done, and and I think at some point you have that talent outside. At some point, like you said, they're going to find the key to that lock and unleash it. So Iowa was a great is a great defense. Yeah, I I, I was wondering. Tim, this is – during the game, I even asked Brady Quinn and Matt liner and Reggie Bush, I said, what would you guys – because I've been in those locker rooms where one side of the ball was playing. Iowa's defense was playing as hard as they possibly could. Yeah, They were in that game because they scored on defense. They held up the three field goals when the offense just gave them the ball. So, you know, is there infighting? Is there – you know, are there arguments? I It was well-documented back years ago, but I had – when we were struggling on offense at Florida one time, after a game we lost, there was almost a fight in the locker room. And I actually let it go because I wanted to hear. I thought it's a cathartic moment. Uh, say what you got to say. Yeah, I'd rather say it here than saying it to the media or something. And I wanted to hear it. So I'm, whenever you have that kind of one side performing well and the other side the worst in the country, you know, at some point I, I wonder what's going on in that locker room. Yeah, me too. I mean, uh, wow. And, people, Iowa fans are wondering, <laughs> you
1: know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like Kirk Ferentz has been there for a long time, but sometimes the explanations don't match up with what's, with what you're seeing. And, you know, like I told you last week, it's kind of hard to have an excuse for being that pathetic on offense. Uh, uh, inept really, to a certain extent, quarterback throwing the ball to the other team. I mean, you know, it's just crazy. Hey, I want to get, get you on this uh, every week. It seems like there are rivalries that kind of pop up. that have been around, in college football for a while that I think are underappreciated, especially as we move forward in this college football world of consolidation and whatever. You know, some of these rivals are going to go away, but you know, you were part of this one, man. Florida, Georgia, they're playing this week. Florida seems to be flailing, but that's always a rivalry. You got uh, you got Michigan State at Michigan. Michigan State seems to be struggling to a certain extent, uh, but we know what Michigan State's had Michigan's number the last several years, and in Kentucky. At unbeaten Tennessee, highly ranked, revitalized Tennessee. Which one of those games kind of grabs you going into this weekend where you there's a possible upset in the making? What, what do you what do you think?
0: Well, you know my feelings and rivalries. I grew up in the 10-year war with a guy named Bo Schinnbeckler and Woody Hayes. And that was like brushing your teeth in the morning, your hatred for your rival. Yeah. And you know, the one thing I was so proud of at Ohio State, and they still continue this. A rivalry to me is not a, a game, it's a way of life. It's a way, you know, you don't work on a rivalry, you know, as you work up to the game. We had someone working every day of the year. Tim Hinton was my uh, Wolverine coach. Yeah. And that means he worked on that. And I did the same thing at Utah about BYU. I did the same thing at Bowling Green about Toledo. And then I did the same thing at Florida with Georgia, Florida State, and Tennessee, actually three rivals. Yeah. So the Georgia, the Georgia-Florida game, you know, it's not, a, you know, when Florida's lost three in Aurora, I believe so. I consider that. you know, I'm a little biased, obviously, but you have the Iron Bowl, you have USC, Notre Dame, and then I consider it Florida Georgia either the second or third best. Obviously, behind the game here, uh, that's a great rivalry. That is that is deep. The old Gators, you know, from the Steve Spurrier era, that's the rivalry that counts at at, at Florida. So that is a huge game. It's in a you know in a venue that's uh, a neutral venue in Jacksonville. That's a nasty game, tough game, hatred game, but it's a mismatch right now because of Georgia, the way they've recruited their program, where they're at compared to what Florida is. I think Florida, I think Tennessee, Kentucky is a nice robbery. It's not the same level as that, yeah. But Kentucky's a good program, and Tennessee right now, that guy's got to be coach of the year when he's done there. Hypo, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, Hendon Hooker
1: is a household name now, (laughs) you know, I mean, the Heisman Trophy race, as I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, has been joined. I mean, uh, Hendon Hooker, he's got that uh, momentum going in that Southeastern conference momentum going, you know, and uh, CJ's got it working on his hand, you know, he's got some work to do, you know, uh, heading into this. That was cool though, watching CJ last week, wasn't it? Just crank it up. I mean, he looked pedestrian there in the first half, the, the passing attack did for Ohio State, but man, for about mm-hmm. eight, 10 minutes there in the middle of the second
0: half. That was worth your money, right? It was. And, and I saw, I think Day did a great job. At CJ struggled. And if you notice near that, they kept the ones in there. Yeah. And that was my plan. You know, the game was out of hand. It was over. And he, I think we threw the ball 10 out of 12 times. And there's a lot of reasons. Number one, you have an obligation as the coach to, if your player has a chance to, we did that with some guys. You know, when we have Heisman opportunities. You're darn right. Let, let that guy keep going. And then also give him some confidence as he's getting ready to go to Penn State. Cause there was a moment, Tim, yeah, where there was a lot, there was the stadium felt it. I'm sure CJ felt it. There was a lack of confidence and he got it back now in a big way. Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. Ole Miss is playing at Texas A&M this week. Ole Miss gets beat for the first time last week beat down really. I mean, I thought LSU is coming on a little bit, but, what would you do? You're you're the head coach at Texas A&M, Urban, right now. Well, I don't know. What what do you do to fix things down there? And I'm not trying to project you into a, a, a possible a, another job opportunity that might be coming at the end of the year. But you know, it's it'd be hard for them to get rid of Jimbo Fisher right now. But man, he's well into his tenure there, and things seems to a lot of a lot of things seem to be unraveling. I mean, what's just your take on what's going on there with Texas A&M, loaded with talent, but Where are the results?
0: Yeah, he hasn't had a double. I didn't realize this until this summer, you know, when that uh, little spat. between, Yeah. You know, Texas A&M is a proud place. It's a place that has an enormous resource. I coached a game against Texas A&M down there, and it's incredible. Uh, It's also within 100 miles. You have as good of football players as they're, you know, recruiting is over the top. And football is so important in the state of Texas. So, it's hard to understand, you know, I, I don't want to add the narrative because I'm not inside that locker room, but we're all, as I used to explain to our coaching staff and our players, this is the most evaluation friendly business you can be in. That means every week there's a left side of the column and a right side, you either win or lose the game. And then also people watch. And if it's in disarray, your evaluation is not very good. So there's something, they just suspended a handful of players yeah. Some of the highly ranked recruiting class that they had. The offensive performance has been nothing short of very, very poor. So, I, you know, they, and the one thing about the SEC, there's no time to take a breath ever. You yeah. know, every, every, you take a breath, you get the old miss, they'll beat you to death. You know, so there's so many good athletes, especially in the Southeastern Conference, you can't take a breath. So, there's something going on there. So. Yeah.
1: I'll tell you what, W. W's change a lot of thinking though don't they and uh, uh, I wanted to ask you this before we move on uh, everybody's ripping Jimbo for his off Jimbo Fisher for the offense there you know just it just doesn't look like it's a state of the art for one of another term do you agree with that from what you've watched of their offense I mean are they getting what they what they should be getting out of that kind of talent
0: yeah I've, I've heard that and I actually went and watched a little bit of it you know Jimbo Fisher has a reputation and of- and deservedly so Was an excellent offensive coach. You know, they won a national championship. You had James Winston when he was there. Yeah. Uh, he was an assistant coach, I believe won a national championship at LSU. So he's football acumen is very high. I don't know him very well, but I know people that know him and very good offensive acumen, but the rotating quarterbacks, they've had issues in the offensive line where people have been hurt. I watch, yeah. I see different numbers in the offensive line constantly. And then also you see a rotation of three quarterbacks and, this young quarterback's supposed to be a, a tremendous talent, so I, I don't know if you just say let's go and ride with him. Uh, but you know, offensively, I faced the challenge too because I ran my offense for so long, and I was very stubborn. And then I hired a guy like Ryan because I had think about the coordinators I had. Yeah. I had Dan Mullen, tremendous coach, and then uh, Tom Herman did a great job for us. And then we yeah. got a little stale, and I let Ryan. I, I I understood we needed to get things going a little bit. And Ryan Day brought the whole crossing package in the passing game. He brought some, you know, the way he understands how to attack downfield. So I kind of handed a lot of things to Ryan Day. I'm not sure maybe that's what needs to happen down there. Once again, I, I'm not in that program, so I'm not completely yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, you
1: know, something's got to go on. I mean, I grew up in that area, as you know, East Texas. And uh, you know, a bunch of my buddies Football's went to a huh? Went to Texas Football's A&M, the- and I'm telling
0: they aren't happy. <laughs> yeah, football's important there, man.
1: Oh yeah, baby. You ought to see that airport, you know, uh on game day. I mean, at the Texas AM airport, uh, right down the street, it's loaded with big time jets. But uh, and I don't, that tells you all you need to know. Uh, with that in mind, uh, just a quickie. What's the most disappointing team in the country so far here halfway through this season? What can you put your finger on one? Texas A&M would be in the running for that. But, you know, Arkansas was really hyped, you know, going into the year. Wisconsin has, has had its struggles, but it's bouncing back now. Uh,
0: well, where would you put uh, that onus? Uh, disappointing team. Well, there's two in my mind that were top five teams, and that was Texas A&M and Notre Dame. You know, yeah. Top five, six teams that, you know, once again, to, to say there's not talent, that, that's, every time I hear that, I'm like, come on now, don't don't go there. You know, of course there's talent. Now it might be different talent than the system and, you know, and all that, that you have to work through. So those are the two that you just think and you watch them, and it just doesn't look great. Yeah. You know, I think Marcus Freeman eventually will get, I know he will, if they, you know, just be patient with them. And first time head coach at the university of Notre Dame. Think about that for a minute. Yeah. Here, here you go. I was a first time coach at Bowling Green and thank God there wasn't you know, we weren't on TV all the time because the mistakes that are made in your first time as a head coach are yeah. uh, very – but he'll uh, – he's a really smart guy. Uh, you just got to make sure you has got the right coaching staff. And, but those two teams are the teams you thought would be right in the middle of this thing. Yeah, that's a
1: good point. I had forgotten about Notre Dame. That's how disappointing they are. <laughs> uh, they play at Syracuse this week. That'll be an interesting uh, little test because, man uh, – Wow. I just, like you just said, I'm not sure Notre Dame is a place you want to learn how to be a head coach. I mean, just, it just seems like, and, and you know, and I I blame Notre Dame for that more than I blame Marcus Freeman. I don't know about you. What would, I mean, I'm going to try to get a little fracas going here, but
0: don't you, I mean, you can't, you're taking a real shot there, aren't you? You are, but I think it was an educated shot. You know, I think the players are what I understand was very involved in that. Obviously he's recruiting at a high level right now. So we to fruition you know what goes into selection of a football coach is so deep you know obviously the guy down south of us in Cincinnati is a Catholic guy and a Catholic family and that was kind of that's everybody kind of thought that's where we're, uh, Notre Dame might go but that didn't materialize so you know I, I I saw Bob Davey who's not a good coach he's a great coach and people might say we thought he is a great football coach I was there with him and he took over for Lou Holtz in Notre Dame. And, I mean, uh, the weight of the world is every morning you wake up, you're the head coach of Notre Dame. And every scenario is kind of new. How do I handle this? How do I handle this? How do I handle this? And once again, thank God, when I was 36 or 35 at Bowling Green, you know, I'm glad it was Bowling Green. Yeah. Because uh, a couple of times, like, man, I shouldn't have done You know, that, that's not the way to handle this situation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You didn't have 50 media members up your uh... – At your, excuse me.
0: Yeah. at
1: your press conference. Yeah. (laughs) Coach, what the hell are you doing? Hey, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, well, let's move on. Uh, Illinois is now the team to beat in the big 10. Speaking of the flip side of surprises, uh, how how are you squaring that in your head and how crazy is the big 10 West right now as we speak?
0: Well, I have a respect for Brett Bielma, uh, Jerry DiNardo, who's been around the big B10, by the way, great man, uh, a great friend of mine called this. He called this a year ago because he goes to all the practices and the way Abilema handles his practices, he has a system. It failed at Arkansas, but I'm sure he adapted to a degree. Uh, but I, 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 you know, we got in, if you remember, I first got to the Big Ten in 2012. We had a little uh, Wisconsin something about recruiting, but yeah. we moved on and we get along fine. And I a lot of respect from his coach. Here's the thing I think that I, I'd like to, the viewers and everybody just contemplate this for a minute and two years from now, the big 10 is going to no longer have divisions. Do you realize that eliminates about seven teams from ever playing in the big 10 championship
1: game?
0: Yep. It's in a, in, But the other side of the cone is you're going to get the best two teams in the championship game. So is it going to be Ohio State versus the Wolverines? Is it going to be, you know, there's a small two, window of teams that can ever play in that game now, you know, the, the, Imbalance in the Big Ten is far greater than most conferences. Yeah, you know the SEC that you know you'll you there, there's seven eight teams that think they can win a national title in the SEC and the Big Ten. You, you know the 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 group of teams that were so good: Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State, those teams right there. Are Penn State, oh Penn State's still right there, but yeah. When those three teams are struggling, that to me the Big Ten doesn't look like the Big Ten anymore. Yeah. You know, Wisconsin's a top fifteen program. So is Michigan State, and so and I think they'll, obviously they'll be back. But this year, it just looks really doesn't look great. You know, the Big yeah. Ten because of that, those three teams are usually top fifteen programs.
1: Yeah, I talked about that on my podcast this week my, with my guest Dave Jones, who's been covering uh, Penn State for a, three and a half decades. He was he was in Columbus before that, uh, worked at our paper. Uh, uh, but but the point I made up is. Do we really want to see, like this year would be a great example. If, if, if games keep going the way you think they're going, the way it's going to go, there's a huge collision coming the last weekend of November, Ohio state and Michigan. Do we really want to see them play back to back, you know, weekends, you know, down in the future. I mean, I, I'm not sure I do. I'm I'm not sure as a head coach, you want to, you want to play a team and in the next week play them again. Do
0: you? No, absolutely not. But once again, uh, you know, the, and this is one of the little issues I have with college football right now. The first words that comes out of everyone's mouth right now is money. Yeah. And whether it be about a player, whether it be about a coach, whether it be about the conference. And, you know, I don't want to be that old gray haired guy like me and you are and say, well, back then it was about educate. You know, Woody Hayes always talked about education. It talked about the rival. You know, never, I don't ever remember Woody Hayes talking about, think about how, old we sound when I say that dude but he I turned
1: think- down raises
0: are you kidding me that's, that's what we grew up in and I, you know, yeah. I don't want to be that hypocrite this little coach you made a lot of money and coach I, I get that but I yep. just do we want to see the rivalry game back to back and imagine the pressure on those two coaches Coach Net, and more importantly the players that are performing on the field Say, so, okay we just I just I just played you last week and I'm looking at you again yeah so that's that's tough
1: at a neutral site, you know, but it's always, you know, you know, you know as well as anyone. It's hard to beat somebody two years or two times in one year, much less back to back in back to back games. That would be well,
0: well, that once would again be nuts. The, the higher ups are the, the conversation is gonna be about money. Yeah, exactly. How many viewers, because Fox is gonna Fox is gonna broadcast them both. Yeah. I don't want to speak for Fox, but Fox wants to, you know, the, the one thing about that game, it's always the number one watch team game on television. How yeah. cool is that? Yeah. By far. Yeah. So they'll be fine with
1: it. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Hey, uh, let's get to the checkmate moment. Uh, finally here, it, in my opinion, a game, you know, like you, like you, you laid this out when we first started this many weeks ago, the checkmate moment might be a play call. It might be, uh, a faux pas, you know, by a team. But it also might be a change in the middle of a game that changes that game, maybe changes your team's fortunes. And I thought a checkmate moment was when uh, – and you, I don't know if you agree with me or not – was when Davo Sweeney and, and Clemson this past week, they were losing at uh, – they were losing versus Syracuse in Death Valley, by the way, at Clemson. And DJ Ungalele wasn't basically hot that day, wasn't sharp. And it had, had what, uh, three turnovers, I think, in that game. But the point was, he, we went to Cade Klubnick, that freshman quarterback, and boom, Cade Klubnick saves the day uh, to a certain extent. Played well. They came back and beat Syracuse, which at that point was undefeated. My point is, after that game, though, Devil Swinney made a big point to say that DJ Ungalele was still his quarterback and stuff. Um <coughs> To me, that's a checkmate moment because, number one, it kept their unbeaten season alive, kept their drive to get to the college football playoff alive. But then you're going back and saying, this guy's still my guy. Uh, how do you look at that? Was that? Is that a checkmate moment? Uh, it was definitely a checkmate moment for the game, but heading forward, uh, have we seen a moment here uh, in Clemson uh, 2022 football history that's going to make or break
0: them? Now, the ultimate responsibility for the head coach on game day is game management, and many fail. You know, I failed, Dabo's failed, Nick Saban has failed before, Brian Day's failed before, we all have. Uh, and it's got to be so well thought out. I'm sure that scenario has been running through Coach Sweeney's mind. Um, he had to do it, he did it, and I don't know how to, I mean, that'd be really, really hard to do. You know, I've been faced with similar situations. Whether it was maybe Dwayne Haskins and J.T. Barrett, and you know you got this leader, you got this player that you love, and you support, and maybe struggling, do you pop another guy in there? Yeah, and he did it. And and if it fails, you could lose your team. You certainly can lose your players. Now in this world of transfer portal, and and I can I listened to what he said. I'm talking about Dabo Swinney about uh, the quarterback and saying that he's still his quarterback, which is the right thing to say. But it's also, don't don't think now that he he's worried about if he struggles again. And and I hear the stories about, is it fair to have a quarterback that's always looking over his shoulder? You know, my comment was, yes, it's fair to have a center looking over his shoulder too. Yeah. Same with a middle linebacker. It's, it's all about competition and winning. You're the quarterback of a top five program. Are you looking over your shoulder? Of course you are. you are. As a head coach, you are. I mean, this is the most competitive environment that exists on the planet. So he made the right move. Obviously, it worked out. How this moves forward is going to be very intriguing. Their schedule is not tough the rest of the way, so they can manage it. Uh, But for the future, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Hey, real quick, though. Once you've pulled a guy and put another guy in,
1: and then you put that original guy back in as your starter the next week, does it make it easier in your mind, Urban, to pull that guy again. You understand what I'm saying? Meaning uh, it does, right? right? Once you kind of have a little breakthrough there, I would think human nature is all right, man, I, I feel it again. This isn't clicking. Let's go with the backup again. I mean, that, that is possible, isn't
0: it? Yeah. I had two scenarios where I had uh, Chris league and Tim Tebow, down in Florida yep. in 06, and I just decided that we're going to play them both. And I got a lot of criticism, uh, you know, you have two type A's, you know, you have two guys that are well known, the, the team loves them. And I would, you know, do you play Tim Tebow or do you play Chris Lee? And I said, me and Dan Mullins, we're going to play both. And it worked out, we won the national title. Then also in 2015, I had a guy that won the national championship, a guy named Cardell Jones. Never lost a game as a starting quarterback. Yeah. And then you have JT Barrett, who was our leader, uh, you know, broke records after record a guy that I personally had immense respect for because of his toughness and leadership and Cardell struggled a little bit, especially on third downs in the red zone, because we didn't have that quarterback run ability because he wasn't a runner like JT. And so I went to JT and it wasn't, you know, we lost that game. We went 13 and one, but we took, it wasn't smooth that year. So there, you know, would I manage that differently? I actually reflect on this. I don't know. So, Dabo is going to deal with the same thing. You know, he's, you know, especially the rest of the way here. And then especially in the off season. Yeah, exactly.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, another edition of urban's take is in the books urban. Thanks for joining me, my man. Uh, I'll see you next week. And Hey, Hey, have a happy time in happy
0: Valley, my man. This is one of my uh, favorite 15 minutes of the day of the week, so I really appreciate it.
1: Tim. Yeah, with Tim May, it's always more, you know, 15 minutes, but it ends up being 30. That's just the way it goes, right? But, uh, hey, until next week, man, we'll see you then.